0: Well, hey welcome to Central Christian Church online uh, my name is Tim I get the honor of serving uh, as one of the pastors here and, and we're honored that you've joined us uh, as Michael just shared man it is it is our mission the whole reason that we exist is to help people find and follow Jesus and, and we just want to be very candid and open up front and let you know every week and just a reminder uh, to ourselves and everyone else we're imperfect people in progress and and we just want to say welcome to the family if you're you're no matter where you are on your spiritual journey we, we'd like to uh, welcome you to the family. I hope you come to call this place your, your home. Uh, before we get into the message, though, quick shout out to Kristen and all the kids' volunteers. If you're traveling with the family on vacation, man, you missed it because uh, it was an epic week. It truly did live up to the name best week ever. Uh, I was talking to my son afterwards, and, and he was like, you know what, Dad? that was the best week ever <laughs> it was it was awesome so thanks for all of you who invested your time your energy into to teaching kids about Jesus helping them know him and have a whole lot of fun in the process it was an epic epic week and we got a lot of other things coming up as michael mentioned you can check those out on our events page but today we're continuing our series Jesus is. And, and when it comes to who Jesus is, we fill in this blank with a whole lot of things. And no matter who you are, whether you're a father of Jesus, been following Jesus your whole life, maybe you're just checking out this thing called church and, and you get to do it behind a computer. It's a little little safer maybe in that way. And But no matter where you are, we fill in this blank with something of who Jesus is. And, and, and no matter where you are, uh, Jesus means something to you. And it's been our hope, it's been our heart throughout this, this summer series to just fill in that gap with what the Bible says is true of, of who Jesus is. And so we've been anchoring ourselves and really our theme verse has been 1 Corinthians chapter 2, where this guy named Paul, he says, says, you'll remember friends, when I first came to you, I didn't try to impress you with polished speeches or the latest philosophies. Instead, I deliberately kept it plain. I kept it plain and simple. First Jesus, who he is. And then Jesus, what he did, Jesus crucified. And this is our 10th week in this series of exploring attributes of who Jesus is. And today uh, we're gonna look uh, to God's word once again and discover another characteristic of Jesus. And that is that Jesus is the good teacher. Jesus is the teacher, uh, you may not realize this but in your new testament you have f- the first four books in your bible uh, of the new testament anyway are called the gospels Matthew Mark Luke and John and in those four books Jesus is is called the the good teacher he's called the teacher over 45 times. I mean, he is the teacher. And I think we could all agree that Jesus whether whether you believe in Jesus as as God and Lord or just a historical figure, I think we could find some common ground in agreeing that Jesus was the best teacher ever to live on this this planet. And here's what I mean. For first off, his, his teachings has carried on throughout the centuries. I mean, today, over a billion people around the globe continue to study Jesus' teachings. They continue to memorize his, his teaching. Jesus, he, he originally, when he, he taught his, his followers, the, the original gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they were written in, in Greek. But but aren't you grateful that today his teachings have been translated to over 1,551 different languages? And aren't you grateful? English is one of them. I'm just saying his teachings have spread around the globe. Currently, his teachings are available to over 6 billion people currently living. And they can read Jesus' teaching in their own language. I mean, no other teacher in the history of humanity could make that claim. I recently read a a Business Insider article that stated that the Bible has outsold any other book with a a whopping 3.9 billion copies sold over the past 50 years. Check out this chart. 3.9 billion copies. The next closest book in the past 50 years is is this book with with 820 million copies. Copies sold, but but the Bible has three billion nine hundred copies sold. I mean, it, far greater than any other teacher in the history of humanity. At the center is Jesus, shining bright as the teacher, and with all that to to say this, I think we can agree that Jesus is the best teacher ever. But beyond being the best teacher, beyond having the the best, greatest, most insightful wisdom for life and and the deepest things that concern us the most, Jesus didn't just give us teachings to learn. He gave us an example to follow. And when it comes to navigating life, here's the good news. Jesus didn't just give us a textbook. He gives us a living example so that when, when you feel stuck, when we, we, we fall on hard times, we don't know what to do. Jesus gives us an example so we can live life unstuck. Ephesians 5.1, it says this. Here's the advice. Here's my hope. Here's, here's kind of my prayer for you today that we would all do this. Watch what God does and then do what he did. Like children who learn proper behavior from their parents, mostly what God does is love you. And here's what I hope you do. Keep company with him and learn to live a life of love. Or as another translation puts it, be imitators of God. Jesus didn't just give us great instructions. He leaves us a great example. He led, he lived, he led. You can combine those two words if you like, but he did that through through example. So today I want us to look at not only Jesus' teaching, but the example that he left us in four key areas of our lives so that we can follow his example and learn from his teaching. Here's the first. Uh, and Jesus taught us how to overcome temptation. Jesus taught us how to overcome temptation, not only with his teaching, but with his example. And you might just write this word uh, next to that, that statement, uh, the word of God. Like, like the word of God is how he empowers us to overcome temptation. We're gonna see that in Jesus' example. But before we look at that I came across a, a funny list of some, some honest test questions that 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 kids face because Jesus himself was tested. Jesus himself faced temptation. Uh, you, wherever you are, you will be tested. You will face temptation. And by following Jesus' example, we can win that battle over temptation. We can pass those tests. But here's a couple test questions from from some kids. Here's the first one. Uh, Bob has 36 candy bars. He eats 29 of them. What does Bob have now? Diabetes. Bob has diabetes. i mean been 29 candy bars. That's a brilliant, that's a brilliant answer. Second one here, what ended in, 19, in 1896? Well, 1895, of course, like honest answer. It's a cause and effect question here. Uh, third picture here. Um, cause, Tony practiced piano 20 minutes a day. What's the effect? He is a big nerd. <laughs> Practice. I just thought that was funny. All right, fourth one, final one here. Uh, why are there four rings on Saturn? Uh, answer, because God liked it, so we put a ring on it. <laughs> Teacher, Saturn was not a single lady. Like, that is not the right answer. Well, <laughs> while we can get very creative in our responses to, to, to test questions, I'm, I'm guessing they probably didn't do too well. On those tests. Now, I don't know about you, uh, but but I've often felt the same way. That when it comes to overcoming temptation, when it comes to overcoming tests in life, no matter how creative I try to be, I often feel like I just fall fall short of the test. But I'm thankful for the good teacher, as he gives us not only great instruction, but he leaves us a great example for us to follow in our daily lives. And, and this, is, this takes, I'm going to read you a passage that's found in Matthew chapter four. This takes place right on the heels of Jesus' baptism. And as we, we talk about Jesus not only being our teacher, but, but living this life as an example, I would just encourage those of you who are watching this, maybe you're a follower of Jesus, but you haven't been baptized yet. I would encourage you to follow Jesus' example and get baptized. It'd be our joy to, to help partner with you in that. You can contact us at the church. We no matter where you are, we want to help in that regard. But so Jesus gets baptized. Then then it says this in Matthew uh, chapter four, verse one through eleven. Says immediately, like then after he he was led by the Spirit into the desert to be to be tempted to face some test by by the devil. And he he faced these tests not just on one occasion, but I think on a daily basis Jesus was tested. But this is the example that he. He gives us and, and he's fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. And so the, the devil comes and he, he tests him, he tempts him. He's like, hey, you're God, like turn some stones into bread so you can eat. Like you gotta be hungry, right? And here's what Jesus said. It is written, it's written. Every test, he anchors himself back into the word of God to, to, to win the test, like to, to, to avoid the temptation to overcome and find freedom. It is written, "Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God." Uh, and so the devil is like, "Okay, like you want to play that game? I'll, 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 we can do that." And he goes on. He, he, he then the, the enemy like puts scripture back on Jesus. Like, "Well, hey, here's what the Bible says. You should do this." And then Jesus once again he says says this. He says says it is it's also written. Like, I know what you said, but it's also written, here it is. And and he angers himself back in God's word. And then a third time, the enemy tests Jesus once again, and the final, Jesus' final response, you might pick up on a theme here, it's written, it's written, it's written. And so Jesus not only gives us this this wonderful teaching of how we can live free from temptation, but he modeled for us how we can, can live in God's word, know God's word, and overcome temptation. That's one of our our core anchors here is that you would be a person who grows in freedom. We want you to know God, grow in freedom, show your purpose, go change the world. But we can never grow in freedom if we don't follow Jesus as example and memorize, meditate, live in God's word. So when the enemy comes to trip you up, and he will come, he, w- he will try to trick you. And the challenging thing with the enemy, the, the devil, he makes things look so appealing. It makes it look so attractive. But as the Bible says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. And so if we're not anchored in the word of God, we can be lured away. And man, we've all done that, right? and we don't wanna go back to that life. So let's anchor ourselves in God's word so when the enemy comes, we're ready with truth to respond. We can remind the enemy that no weapon formed against us will prosper, that God hasn't given us a spirit of fear or timidity, but of power, of love and a sound mind. Whenever we're faced with temptation, we can remind ourselves that no temptation has overtaken us except what is common to man and God will always provide a way out. We can remind ourselves that he's training us for battle, like we are his kids, he is for us. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. He delights in the details of our lives. And if our God is for us, who can be against us? We gotta anchor ourselves in God's word so we too can overcome temptation. But Jesus not only taught us how how to overcome temptation and gave us an example, he also shows us how we can face uncertainty in life. How many of you ever faced some uncertainty? How many of you are like, we live in uncertainty. Like these are uncertain times. Like we live in this space. Well, the good news is that Jesus showed us how to overcome uncertainty and how to navigate that. And it's, it's one simple word. And I wish, I wish there was more, but it's, it's faith. It's faith. Here's the oversimplification of everything that you face in life, everything I face in life. It's found in these two circles. There's everything you face in life falls into one of these two buckets. It's, It's in your circle of control or it's within your circle of concern. Or we could call this a circle of uncertainty this originated I first read this from dr. Stephen Covey uh, he wrote this book seven Habits of highly effective people but but people who are most effective in life they focus here on what's in their control here's what's in your control things like like wh- should I watch another episode or should I go to bed it's in your control uh, should I eat the salad or or bring on the nachos should I take a nap go for a walk should should I should I hit this deadline at work and really push through or maybe just take a break and play some, some video games. Do I buy the brown shoes? Do I buy the black shoes? Do I go to church or do I sleep in? This is all within your circle of control. And by, by the way, great job. You're, you're at Central Online. You're here, baby. You're taking action on things that matter, matter most. But over here in this red circle, this is where we get uncertainty. This is where we get anxiety. This is where fear rises in our heart. This is where where things are are outside of our control, but they're within our realm of concern. Things like the economy, things like the housing market, things like politics on a global level, like like, like the job market, the stock market. For me, oftentimes in just a couple months, like my anxiety typically ticks up a little bit because I'm concerned, like, will they renew my lease on my rental, apart, or rental place or will we, will we have to, like, move? You know, like, it, I have no control over that. That's the homeowner's decision, but it, it brings uncertainty and it makes me concerned. and kind of anxiety rises in my heart. And we all have things that, that fall in these, these two buckets, things that are in our circle of concern, things that are in our circle of, of control. And we can choose, we can make a choice, we're gonna fill this circle with one of two spiritual things. We can fill it with worry or we can fill it with faith. Now worry says there's not enough and I'm on my own. But faith says God's in control. He's always been in control. He's my provider, he's all I need. He's gonna take care of the things that are out of my control so I can focus on what is within my control. A pastor friend, Herbert Cooper, he, he put it this way. He said, said worry is a, is a down payment on a problem that you may never have. So much of life, it, so much of the things that worry us that are in that circle of concern, we, we don't have any control over, but we worry about it. And we give a down payment for things that may never happen. And worry makes today worse without making tomorrow better. Whereas faith, trust in God only, who who takes care of us, he he has complete control. When we operate with faith, we can live a little freer, a little little lighter. Daniel Gilbert, he's a psychology professor at Harvard, and he's noted that that financial worries are are very real. But at the root of all those financial worries, at the root of it is, is our wrestle with uncertainty, and there's different variables. There's all these things that fall into our circle of concerns. Like, will there be another variation of the virus? Will, will, there be, will our stocks hold so we can retire in a way that's, that's comfortable? Uh, will we experience distance learning again? Like, will the, the San Francisco Giants go to the World Series? There are things in our circle of concern. But at the root of all those are, are just this uncertainty. And, and that's what, what drives us crazy. That's where the rub is. And in Professor Gilbert, he pointed to a Dutch experiment where they had two, two different test groups. In the first test group, they told him, Hey, we're going to shock you really hard 20 times. We're going to shock you. Okay. Next test group, we're going to shock you 20 times, but only three times we're going to shock you really hard. Now, who do you think experienced the most anxiety of those test groups? The one that's going to get shocked hard 20 times or the one that's going to get shocked hard only three times. It was a second. The one that only got shocked hard three times. Their, their heart rate was faster. Their blood pressure was higher. They perspired more because of the uncertainty. They know they're going to get shocked 20 times, but is this going to be the hard one? Is this going to be the, the big one? And, and I think that's where a lot of us are. I think that's where where some of us are, I mean, just uncertainty and discomfort. A lot of us have lived in that space for the past, past few years, and we just don't know when the next shock's coming. But Gilbert, he summarizes all of his findings with, with this, this statement. It says, our national gloom is real enough, but it isn't a matter of insufficient funds. It's a matter of insufficient certainty. But the reality is we've never had certainty. We've always lived in uncertain times. But the good news is we worship the God who's always in control of all that concerns you. Worrying is assuming responsibility that God never intended it for us to have. It's playing God is trying to control the uncontrollable. But the good news is we can rest in him. And our future is, is unknown, but our God has made himself known. And our future, though it is uncertain, we worship the God who holds the future with absolute certainty And when you place your faith in God, you put worry in its proper place. Because worry not only impacts us spiritually, but worry impacts us physically. It was Charles Mayo, one of the famous brothers who who founded the Mayo Clinic. He said this, worry affects circulation, your heart, the glands, the nervous system. Matter of fact, it profoundly impacts your heart. We have never, I've never known a man who died from overwork but many who have died from doubt in the midst of, of uncertainty. So Jesus comes along and he offers us another way to live where we can put all the worries for tomorrow and leave them there and trust them to God. And he says this in Matthew 634, he says, so don't worry about tomorrow. And by the way, tomorrow is always in the bucket of a circle of concern. Like tomorrow's never within our realm of control. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today has enough trouble of its own. So focus on what's in your control. In every situation, whenever you face anxiety, ask yourself, is this within my realm of control? Or is this in the circle of concern? If it's in the circle of concern, then fill that circle with faith and then trust it back to God so you can get back to focusing on what is in your circle of control. Hebrews 11.1, This is what what faith does. When we feel uncertainty with faith, it results in this, because faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is evidence of things we cannot see. In other words, when I'm walking in faith and trusting God to take care of things that only God can take care of, it impacts the way I live my life today. So, so God showed us, he's taught us, he's given us examples how we can overcome temptation, how we can face uncertainties in life. And the third is how to submit to God's plan. How, to, how do we submit to God's plan? Like Jesus not only taught us this, he modeled this for us. And at the root of it, you might write this in your notes, it's obedience, it's obedience. And it's not always easy, but Jesus modeled that. In Matthew 26, this is, Jesus knows he's about to be arrested. Like he's had this meal with his disciples in the upper room. Like he's praying in the garden. He knows he's about to go to the cross. He knows what's in front of him. And he asks God, he's like, I'm not too sure I like your plan. <laughs> I'm not too sure I like where this thing's headed. And he says, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering, like let, it, let there be another way. But yet I want your will to be done, not mine. And he would pray this prayer not only once, but twice. Same thing. God, I'm not too sure about the plan. I'm not too sure I like where this is going. I'm not too sure about this. But I'm going to be obedient because I trust you. And Jesus' obedience wasn't a response to earn the Father's love. Jesus' response in obedience was because he already knew the Father's love. And he trusted him. Even when situations and circumstances didn't make sense. And my heart for you, my hope for you, is that we be people who know the Father's heart so well. When we're faced with circumstances that don't make sense, when we're faced in difficult situations that feel painful, but we know God's asked us to move forward, we would respond with obedience, not because we need to earn his love, no, 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 but because we already understand he's given us his love. We've tasted his love. We tasted his goodness. And now we trust him. We move forward and obey him. 1 Peter 2, 21 says this, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you too should follow in his footsteps. He left us not only great teaching, he left us a great example, do what Jesus did. And then third is how to show unconditional love. Sorry, fourth, unconditional love. How do we show unconditional love? This is the final one. And this is where we, We see the F bomb come into play. It's tough. This is a tough one. How do we show people unconditional love? We got to exercise forgiveness. Uh, I love this theme verse for our central kids. This has been their theme throughout the month of July. And it was their theme verse for best week ever at camp. It's found in John 15, 12. And and this is Jesus's words. This is his teaching. He says, this is my commandment. Like it's not, he doesn't leave a whole lot of ambiguity here. There's not a lot of gray in this, this, this conversation. It's like, here's my command. Like this is, if you're a, you want to follow me, here's what you need to do. Love each other. How are we going to do that? Well, in the same way that I've loved you, you need to love each other. Isn't it nice to know that Jesus loves you? Isn't it nice to know he loves you unconditionally? There are no strings attached. But the challenge comes whenever he turns that back and says, now, in the way that I've loved you, I want you to love other, other people. I watched this YouTube video uh, this week. Um, it, it's, it's entitled, A Bungee Jump Prank, which... in If you're like me, I don't like heights and I don't like pranks. And so like to have those two in the same statement, like this is not a good deal. But this guy, he's with his buddies and it's been like this bucket list thing to go bungee jumping. And so they get this great idea that whenever he's about to jump, they're like, no, wait, 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 wait. Like something's wrong. And, and so he's, he's jumping, there's, he's at the point of no return and they hurl. they act like something's malfunctioned and they hurled this, this broken bungee cord over the side. And so as he's falling, he's just seeing like this bungee cord falling at him thinking I'm about to plunge to my death. Like not good friends. Here's a picture. Here's this guy, he's gone and here's the cord coming. Like it's coming can you imagine that? Don't mess with people on heights. That's uh, in pranks, but but here's a good question: How do you love people like that? How do you love people who treat you like that in life? How, how do you love people who cut the cord on a relationship after 25 years? How do you love people who cut the cord and betray your trust? Whenever you confided in them and you were vulnerable with them, how do you cut the cord? How do you love people who cut the cord and gossiped against you and were backbiting? When you're saying things that weren't even true about you, how do you love people who apparently cut the cord on logic and now they stand on the opposite side of that topic? How do you love people after they've done unthinkable things to you? Unconditionally. Or like Troy's story a couple of weeks ago, how do you love people who... Someone someone who's who's responsible for taking the life of your son after his college graduation. How do you love somebody like that? Again, I think, I wish there was another way. I'm not really a big fan of this word, but forgiveness. Letting them off the hook. Doesn't mean reconciliation. Doesn't mean everything's fine. It just means you're letting them off the hook and you're not carrying that or holding that against them anymore. Jesus not only taught us this, he left us a great example in Luke 23, 34. Here's Jesus. This is a moment he's on the cross. He, he's been unjustly tried, wrongfully accused. He's, he's been whipped. He's been mocked. He's been beaten. He's been embarrassed, like paraded through the streets of this city, most likely naked at this point, And now dying of suffocation on a cross in front of his mama in front of his friends, in front of the whole world to see. This is God in the flesh. He at any moment could turn it all around. But instead in that moment, he says, father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And he modeled for us unconditional love. And aren't you grateful? that he loves you in this way, that when we blow it, he's quick to forgive, quick quick to make the wrong right. And on his worst day, he showed us how to love unconditionally. You might write this down. You might, might write this on a mirror, put it on a Post-it note. You might get a tattoo of this, but make sure you know this. Forgiveness is how God transforms our pain so we don't transfer our pain. Forgiveness is how God transforms our pain so we don't transfer the pain onto other people. And as I was preparing for this message and praying for you, I just thought maybe this is, this is a word for someone because maybe you're, you're transferring a lot of pain into people in the present who did nothing to deserve it. But because we haven't dealt with what our dad did years ago, what he didn't do years ago, what that boss did, what the ex did, what that friend did instead of allowing God to transform the pain. We, we, we continue to transfer the pain out on people in the present. And I think Jesus is just given an invitation to live freely by practicing the old sacred art of forgiveness. Let's be people who live in that space so that we can love people unconditionally because Jesus didn't just come and offer us great instructions. Aren't you grateful that he left us a great example? He lives a great example for us to follow today. And so my my hope for you is that you would invite Jesus' presence to continue to be the good teacher in your daily life. That that maybe today, by the end of the day, you would ask Jesus, God, I need your presence so I can speak life into those around me. Jesus, I, I need your presence as I head to work tomorrow and that you would invite Jesus to teach you how to be more effective in your job, that you would invite Jesus to teach you how to handle those difficult relationships at work, that you would invite Jesus to help you to be a better parent, how to be a better spouse, that you'd let him teach you how to overcome temptation by, by knowing the word of God and anchoring yourself there, that you would, you would learn to face the uncertainties of life and fill the, the circle that's out of your control with faith so that you can focus on what's, what is in your circle of control That we would learn to submit to God's plan, even when it doesn't make sense, but because we trust the Father's heart, we're just gonna be obedient. That we would learn how to love unconditionally by following Jesus' example and exercising forgiveness. Imagine what this week would look like if you invited the teacher, Jesus, into the details of your life. And why not? I mean, he is the good teacher. Here's the big idea. If you've not heard anything else, I hope you'd lean back in and hear this. Here's the big idea for today. Jesus didn't just come to earth to die. He came to teach you how to live. Let's follow his example. Now, I thought I'd, I'd close by giving the good teacher the final word. So I close with an invitation from Jesus himself to you today. I hope you accept it. Here it is in Matthew 11:28. Jesus' words, are you tired? worn out, burned out on religion. And and by the way, Jesus doesn't want religion from you. He wants relationship with you. He is the living God, so he can't offer you dead religion. He can only offer you relationship. It says this, here's the invitation, come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Here's the invitation, keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Let's pray. Well, God, we thank you for being the good teacher and not just leaving us great instructions, but God, you are a living example for us to follow. So God, I, I, I pray, God, that you would help us be people who accept your invitation, and we invite you, your presence, into the details of our lives so that we can follow your example. And as you continue just in a posture of prayer, uh, I wanna just try to make this as practical as I can. And so what I'm asking you for is a commitment. Wherever you are watching this, I wanna ask you just to commit for one week to invite Jesus into the mundane details of your life. That, and ask you is to teach you his way of doing those things. So if you're willing to commit to that, in just a moment, I'm gonna ask you to respond. But here's what you're asking him to do. You are him to say, Jesus, I wanna invite you, your presence in, to like when I do the dishes. I'm inviting your presence in when I go for that walk. And then I want you to go with me on that bike ride. I'm inviting your presence to this dinner. I'm asking you when I step into that meeting, Jesus, that your presence would guide me. God, I'm asking you to to have your hand on my life, but also to walk with me through life so that I can be that person who walks with you, works with you, learns the unforced rhythms of grace so that I can keep company with you and learn to live freely and lightly. And if you're willing to make that commitment today, I wanna to invite you just to make a response in the chat right now. Just saying, I'm in, I'm in, Like that's my prayer. Some kind of response, maybe an emoji, maybe a, that's me, Amen. But let's be people who invite God's presence into our daily lives. And God, as we do, as we respond now and say yes to that, God, I pray you show up in ways that we never experienced before. That Jesus, we would experience your presence and we would learn from you. You are the good teacher and you are alive, and so you're still teaching us today. Help us to learn from your word and as your spirit leads us in the daily situations that we navigate in life. May you do that for your church today, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.